Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Public Relations, publisher of Be Incandescent Business Magazine, and your host for the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. Stone Brewing Company is the 10th largest craft brewer in the United States. It generates $135 million in annual sales, employs 900 people, and starting this year, Stone will begin to invest $74 million to construct a production brewery, packaging hall, destination restaurant, gardens, retail store, and administrative offices in Richmond, Virginia. We are fortunate to be here with Pat Tiernan, Chief Operating Officer, and Craig Spitz, Chief Financial Officer. Welcome to Incandescent Radio. Yeah, Thank you. thanks. And actually, we've got an update. We, we're up to number nine now, yep. and we had a really good 2014, so that 135 million is now 185. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about Stone. Tell us how it's got started, because you've been around for a while. Tell us about the craft brewing industry and why you chose Richmond. So <laughs> you start. I start, okay. okay. Well, uh, where do we start? So um, craft brewing industry is um, about 11% in units of the overall market for beer, which is about a $100 billion industry here in the U.S. Okay. It's about a $300 billion industry globally. And um, we make up about 17% of the revenue of that market here. So 11% units, 17%. Um, the fizzy yellow uh, stuff that's out there. Industrialized um, Yeah, sort stuff. of lowest common denominator yeah. of what we call fizzy yellow stuff <laughs> uh, is um, sort of on a downward trend here. Uh, people want a different alternative, uh, something with actual flavor, uh, something with some boldness to it, and much like you would think about in wine and pairing with food and what have you, beer's that thing. So uh, Stone Brewing got started in 1996 by yeah. co-founders uh, Greg Cook and Steve Wagner, and uh, it's been going like crazy ever We've since. We've had a, a kind of a compound annual growth rate since inception of about 40%. So wow. um, we've been called the fastest growing brewery in the United States, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We both came on, uh, I, was, I came on five years ago, and Pat came on about two and a half years ago, and um, to basically professionally you know, manage the company. And I think, you know, why Richmond? If you think about Stone, you, you always think about three things. It's the beer, of course. It's the community, and it's the experience. And as we went through the process, you know, those three elements, you know, sort of at a high level, really played into the, the equation. So, of course, we had our set of business criteria and all the analytics you might think about. Um, but when we got right down to it, we really loved the energy here, the engagement, and the enthusiasm with all of the community. And by that, I mean the people, the actual community that we're in, the Greater Fulton community, folks in Rockettes, um, the governor, the mayor, Jane, all the different people, all the different players. And it um, late in the game, we were actually looking at a site across the river when Jane brought us to the Fulton community at the Interterminal Building and the plot just uh, contiguous to it behind it. We said, "Oh wow! Yeah. You know, not only do we have a big chance to make a, an impact on the on the on the community here, but that experience is phenomenal. Yeah. You can't beat it." So, and in the location, you know, right now we have about forty to forty-three percent of all stone uh, beer consumed east of the Mississippi. And I know a lot of people don't realize that, and you know, thinking that we're mainly just West Coast. Um, so, really, Richmond with the, the I ninety-five corridor, you know, it really makes sense for 
uh, where, where the uh, population concentrations are uh, uh, throughout the East, it, it's a good logistics point. But as Pat said, that was only part of it. We had to also come with uh, a place that we just identified with, and, yep. and this, uh, this led the pack on, on all of that. So. So take us back to the beginning. So we started with Pat, so I'm going to sure. talk to Craig for a sec. Why did you guys decide that you needed to have an East Coast operation? Well, so, uh, basically we're, out of, we're running out of capacity in Escondido. Mm -hmm. So because of, as I said, you know, we've been growing at a compound rate of 40% a year, we were going to be really out of capacity about a year from now. Right. So we were going to have to build another brewery. Well. So where was it going to be? So since 40 to 45 percent of our beers uh, uh, consumed east of the Mississippi, it makes sense to go east. It's our so largest growth rate, and, and if you think about craft markets, right. some of the most well-known ones, Portland, sorry, Portland, uh, San Diego, uh, this is our highest growth area, and it's still burgeoning from a craft perspective. Right. If okay. you think about the density of, of craft brewers, there's 3,400 of them in the U.S. Mm -hmm. now. Uh, a good portion of those are sort of west. Colorado West. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, we see this area as, as getting bigger and bigger from that perspective. So for us, it just made sense. And when you look at cost, you know, we're, we're, we're sending beer and refrigerated trucks from San Diego to Boston. Mm -hmm. You know, so from a, a, a cost footprint standpoint, so if we can have a brewery here that supplies the East Coast, it's going to uh, dramatically reduce our, our uh, freight costs. and carbon footprint and everything. And yeah. to us for, you know, if you think about Stone's beer, just the beer itself, it's really three things. It's the innovation, sort of the creativity we have and the new things that we're constantly pying out there, but it's also quality and freshness. Right. And that freshness thing is something that we push the envelope on, so we want to be closest to where the, the beer gets consumed. Right. Pretty so simple. Talk a little bit about people's passion for beer. I mean, it's ancient, right? We sure. actually. So Jane Ferrara, who's the head of economic development here in Richmond, is our cover story in the May issue of Be Incandescent magazine, which goes live at midnight tonight. So we're thrilled to talk about that story. And the overarching idea is cities of the future and yeah. how the millennials are changing everything. Yep. But you go back. Back to beer and I mean the ancient Egyptians right right yes, so that's where it all right. started right and sometimes it was alcoholic sometimes it wasn't sure. it was nutritious mm -hmm. um, but this renewed passion for it you guys jumped on that bandwagon why because like how did you get into the craft brewing business <laughs> Good. okay well you know it, our, our main uh, majority founder Greg um, uh, he tells the story and it's not unsimilar to our, our stories as well uh, it, that his first uh, craft beer was a uh, uh, Anchor Steam, uh, mm -hmm. and he he um, tasted it and said he was pleased and and pissed at the same <laughs> time. He was pleased because he had a beer that actually had flavor, and he was pissed because he felt he had been lied to all these years. Ah. That all we had that beer was only the industrialized stuff that uh, you know we've seen commercials on f uh, for all these years, and so. That just kind of sparked the the uh, the fire in him that wow, it beer doesn't have to be what what America's been made to think it is, and so that kind of sparked the thing. And we both had similar experiences, so it's it's really you know it's offering people a choice uh, so that um, and and as you know as as products become uh, industrialized, uh, uh, the quality generally tends to go down, and, and so it's, it's giving people a choice that, hey, you don't have to settle for that, you, that you can have something 
different that actually has flavor. And yeah, we, you know, craft, we, we, again, the focus on quality, so there's no adjuncts used. Everything's natural. There's no chemicals no used. No preservatives. There's no preservatives. There's right. none of that stuff. Right. It's not dumbed down. You, our beer could have chocolate in it. It could have coffee in it. It could have whatever. Peppers. <laughs> so, so as a person, young or old, increasingly that alternative is both in terms of just the palate, it's the experience, uh, it's the choice, as Craig was saying. Um, and I think beer right now is going crazy for a very similar reason. I mean, for me, I just I want to taste that shiny new you know object out there, right? It's like the fish on the lure. What's that shiny new metal object? And I just love going out and that diversity. And it's the same passion I have with wine. It's like, what do you try next? What 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 really sort of gets your 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 your, your nose and your and your tongue? You know, it's just it's it's just a great sort of experience. And I think a lot of people do talk about the millennials and there's sort of a anti-commercial, anti-institutional element to it. But if you look at the demographic in one of our bistros, and we have some really large restaurants um, in San Diego. You'll see the gamut. You'll, you, see, you'll see everything. You'll see mm-hmm. people Everyone from loves all beer. over the world. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's people coming to experience that. And and you're getting to the to where now um, the beer, beer and food pairings are now every bit as large as wine and food pairings. And in fact, there's... We've actually participated in some beer versus wine competitions where we go to a, a, a five-star restaurant and there might be a four-course dinner and um, a sommelier will pair a wine with each course and a Cicerone will pair, pair a beer with each course and then the people vote which do they think paired better. And So I think our record's three, three and two. I believe over at uh, RBA. It flip-flops. It but, <laughs> but the point, the point being, it's a lot of people don't realize, you know, that that beer and food pairings, you know, actually do that because of the different combinations of, of things you can have uh, in beers. There's actually, you can have as um, uh, the hops that that are, different hops are using, you know, is, is very similar as the grapes. grapes. You have different varietals that that produce different uh, citrus notes and, and things. Uh, so mm-hmm. Roman palate, yeah, what they do. Yeah. And beer is actually good for you. A lot of research, our food column talks about that, mm-hmm. about all the different research out there that says, you know, it can stave off arthritis and mm-hmm. all kinds of Definitely just part of my healthy diet. It's part of your health. <laughs> so do you guys love beer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That goes without saying, right? Yeah. So talk a little bit <laughs> more about the big picture for Stone, because what I find so fascinating is, first of all, you're all or you, you try and be as natural as possible, which is really good. I think everyone's into that these yep. days. But your beer gardens and your restaurants, it's a brilliant business. Talk a little bit about why you decided to get bigger than just beer. Well, I think it goes back to those three elements yeah. I talked about. When Stone started, you know, Greg and Steve uh, felt that you, you know, you, you have to talk to people. There's a social element to this, right? When they got their brand out there, they did it by shaking hands at charity uh, events where they would donate their beer. And that's sort of how they, that was their selling technique. Right. That's actually how Barefoot Wine got started too. It, it, it's, it's very analogous. And um, back at the time, you, you couldn't get a beer distributor to actually carry the beer. They were all about fizzy yellow. So, you know, they were sort of guerrilla, you know, marketing tactics, mm-hmm. if you will. But I think that that engagement with the charities rung true with them. They spent a lot of their time in that. And additionally, where they located their brewery, which was in an, in an unincorporated area of San Diego, there was nothing. nothing and so they got involved very, very much with the community. And that's carried through. So that experience, that community sort of integration, the local sourcing policies, all those things have sort of started from the origin of the company. So for us, 
when we do something, whether it was siting this facility or the one that we're developing in Berlin right now, it's all those three activities. And so the needs of the community are gonna you know, vary a little bit, but where did we have that opportunity to make a difference? Where was that engagement? We, when we ran an RFP, like most people do, we did it completely opposite. We actually put something out there in the public and let people come to us. And a big part of the, the driver for our decision was who spoke up? What fans? Uh, what cities? What governors? Mm -hmm. What uh, charities? What uh, event organization? You know, types of, of groups. All these different types of things. We actually had so, our criteria weighed pretty heavily. The other thing, you know, that I think is important is when you talk the beer gardens and the, and the restaurants and stuff. Is you know we we don't have TVs in the restaurants oh, and beer God. gardens. I mean, it's all about you know. It's so we're social. trying to make it a social experience and and. So the other thing on our restaurants that um, that Greg and Steve did when they first decided that they wanted to add uh, the restaurant to it is we wanted to have the food component uh, be the same as the beer component. If we're gonna if we're gonna tout the quality uh, and and the natural ingredients and things on the beer side, uh, we wanted to walk the talk on the food side. So um, uh, our restaurants in San Diego were Stone's the largest purchaser of organic vegetables in San Diego County. So. The restaurant food side, we call it worldly eclectic. It's it's um, it's organics and it's healthy food. So um, we're very active in the slow food movement, and so we wanted to give people the same choice on the food side uh, as as versus the industrialized uh, processed food that we do on the beer side, so that that you can have a total experience of of the beer, the food, uh, the the ambiance with the gardens. And not sit sit around and just don't talk to each other and watch TV and actually have a good social experience. You, you'll see it. I mean, in Berlin, you'll see Greg riding his bike from you know the hotel or the flat to the site. Huh. Uh, you'll see uh, Steve outside engaged all the time. So it's part of what they've brought to the company, and I think that that's sort of why these things have really carried through. They they live it. And the other thing about our bistros, the same thing you'll see here. The thing that I personally love about craft is. You know, at our bistros, you might have 40, 50 taps, but two-thirds of them are other people's beer. Right. And so here, you know, we can't wait because there's, yeah. you know, Hardy Woods and Licking Hole Creeks and Arden and all these different awesome, you know, craft brewers. Um, They'll that, all be on tap at our restaurant. You know, that we, we yeah. just look forward to collaborating with and working with. And to us, that's fun. Right. <laughs> and that's brilliant. I, that was another question of mine. How did the craft brewers that are in Richmond feel about you coming to town? Well, they know what our history is. And, and when you look at San Diego, you know, we're up to 100 breweries now in San Diego. And um, so, A, it shows that you're able to sustain the growth. I mean, if we grow from 10 breweries to 100, Obviously, the demand is there, so it's not um, pushing people out, you know. And, and with us, we're not coming in to Richmond as the 900-pound gorilla, uh, putting everybody out out of business. We're they know based on what we've done 18 years in San Diego, what our model is. So they the the local brewers know that their beers would be on tap. They know that we'll be doing collaborations with them, and so it's really a collective us against them mentality, where it's all of us craft brewers against. The industrialized guys, because mm. as I said, we've only got we nationwide. We've only got um, maybe um, maybe fourteen, fifteen percent market share, and so um, you know we've got collectively a, a, a big room for growth. Where where uh, if the demand keeps going the way it is, uh, we're gonna all of us are gonna have a hard time making enough. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because um, part of the criteria for us was the response of the brewing community. Right. And the top three of our top five, three of our top five sites were actually in Virginia. So the experience we've got all over the state, whether it was Roanoke or Norfolk, I mean, O'Connor, um, uh, Star Hill, uh, Devil's Backbone, Devil's Backbone, all of the guys here, you know, Hardywood, Licking Hole, or I mean, all of, all of these guys all over the place. It's just been awesome. I mean, it's just been really welcoming, really warm, and um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be concerns, I think, but that's natural when you're running a business, right? Right. right. But um, we look forward to working with them, and I think it's mutual. Yeah, sounds so. You're the rising tide that leaves yes, all boats. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. This is interesting. I mean, Craig, to Craig's point on capacity, you know, the 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 fizzy yellow guys, um, about half their portfolios are in light beer. Mm-hmm. And they lose more in those categories a year than our entire okay. industry can. Really, can I was produce. amazed when I first saw that stat. So it's yeah. you know, yeah. it's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a light version of your? No. <laughs> next next question. <laughs> <laughs> this is for beer lovers only. None of that right. silly stuff. <laughs> and I understand that it's the water in in Richmond that's also very attractive to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, water like other types of things like logistics were key on our list. Uh, watershed, we looked very, very close out. Uh, what were the sources, uses, what was committed, what was not, sort of the future 20-year, you, know, you know, look through the uh, next 20 years, and that was a big area for us. You know, there's a lot of different places with good water supply. Mm-hmm. The quality of the water here, now this is a relative statement, right, because in San Diego, our water is the worst, pretty much the worst in the country. Really? Oh, it's terrible. Um, so we spent a lot processing that water and making it as pure as possible. Um, in fact, the laws down there are such that our, our recycled water is so clean, we can't even put it down the drain. We actually have to pollute the water if we wanted to put it down the drain. Old Kinda agricultural laws and wastewater facility yeah. things, don't worry about it, but it's a crazy thing. Um, anyway. That's crazy. <laughs> but here, the water is, the incoming source water will have to be processed much less, and we think that's going to be a, a big benefit. You can pretty much do anything you want processing wise to treat incoming water but then there's other exciting elements here which were unique about the area so we were talking about this last night where we were sitting with the uh, wastewater folks in one meeting and in two meetings on the back of the envelope we had a deal sketched out between us that was beneficial for the city the brewers for us for them Um, our waste is very high in um, oxygen content and oxygen content demand and they can use that direct waste as a fuel replacement for the methane that they would otherwise buy. buy. And so they got interested, we got interested, we suggested that all of the brewer's waste would be valuable to them, so they shouldn't be paying surcharges. The city came up with a resolution, passed it, I don't know, really, I mean, damn, it was fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so we're going to allow the city to spend less money, the wastewater guys to have to process less than buy that gas. Uh, we'll be able to release yeah. our waste that they'll use directly as a fuel. And then in the future, as the wastewater infrastructure and the facility goes into biodigesters and things like that, we'll actually be able to use some of our spent grain and other folks' spent grain as a different type of fuel for their uh, biodigesters. So there's a bunch of win wins. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, you know, it was two meetings. And it's yeah. the, the construct we laid down there are happening now. So it's it's... There's been a lot of attributes like that here in Richmond 
that differentiated itself from other places? So the cooperation that we got with the EDA and, and the city and, and everybody was one of the, uh, and the governor, I mean, who, who's been great. And the mayor, yeah. And the mayor, yes. That, so that whole working together, um, they, they, everybody from day one were enthused uh, about this and um, put the time in. And uh, we found that to be much more of the case, you know, here than we than we did in, in many other, places, yeah. other places. But well, to be clear, so nobody confuses yeah. it, our top five sites were all awesome. Yes, <laughs> that, that is true. They were. What were yes. some of the others? Oh uh, well, you know, Columbus was um, a big part of our heart and selection mm -hmm. process, and uh, the the fans out there in addition to the city and, and the mayor and, and their econ dev people were really outstanding um, the fan response there in particular was pretty yeah. pretty amazing um, but as I described to them it was close but we the engagement we had and the opportunity we had here with the people in the community that will directly be in combined with the experience right. it was just it was too compelling not right not I mean, to that, when we <clears throat> when we get the bistro built down um, down by the river, uh, it's it's going to be fantastic, and we're going to be partnering uh, uh, with the city on um, the portion of of the land uh, uh, closest to the river that's that's not part of uh, uh, the land that we're leasing for the uh, the bistro. We're going to do a cooperation agreement with the city and actually co-develop that area, and it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Where you're going to also be able to have small craft boats and, and kayaks and stuff come right up and, and dock and, and uh, come up and then enjoy the, um, in, enjoy the, the banks and, and uh, come up for a beer and go into our beer garden. And, and so just, just um, being a part of the, the river redevelopment was really attractive was to, for us. To, yeah. for us. It's I'll so nice to for participating. Yeah. yeah, it'll be great. And that's right on the city limits too, right? Mm -hmm. And there's yeah, a whole yeah, development. Yeah. yeah, that's terrific. So I know you guys have to go to a lunch. You're going to go speak to students at VCU. You've been here talking to people all yep. week mm -hmm. long. Yep. So my last question to you is, what are you each looking forward to most about having your new plant in Richmond? So Pat, we'll start with you. Working with the community to figure out how we can really make it an impact there is my probably my number one. I would say, too, because Pat and I have spent a lot of time um, the last six months with the Fulton community and meeting those people. and. Um, you know, we, we both remember, remember one of the first meetings <clears throat> that we were at when we, when we were meeting the community folks and, and, and um, you know, that, that Fulton area has been really uh, underserved for 30 years and, and uh, when, when we were talking with them and, and they realized that we were real people uh, and, and not, not just corporate suits, uh, we actually had people with, you know, come and hug us and, and, were, and were crying. You know that that was really a, a professional impact. It was it was, and that really got us bought into to doing this. So I think um, turning turning our experience um, uh, here and and from a, just revitalizing the river, being part of the community, helping revitalize an area that's been that's been devastated since the '70s, really is something. Yeah, it'll be, it's going to be great. 
to look Exciting. forward to. Exciting, yes. You're bringing some of that West Coast coolness to mm. Richmond, Virginia, mm. and they're going to embrace you with their Southern hospitality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like there a good go. marriage. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, it's going to be fun. I'm yeah. also looking forward to having a beer on the right. top of the yes. inner terminal building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw an Adirondack chair looking at the downtown, exactly. sipping, a, sipping a nice there you IPA. Go. Well, Jane and I have come join yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. We actually look forward to maybe making you a cover story once you get sure. to town. So when what do you think the, the opening date will be? We're looking at March. The, the production facility will be open in March. We'll have tours and tasting and things like that. Um, the Bistro experience uh, will follow a couple years, a couple years after, after this. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have to loop back around with you a bunch of times. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you so Sounds much for fun. being on the Incandescent Radio Network. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, your host, with the wonderful folks from Stone. You've been listening to Pat Tierman, Chief Operating Officer, and Craig Spitz, Chief Financial Officer. And we look forward to talking to you soon. So that's it for today's Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, where we always ask, what's your story? If you have a good one and would like to be interviewed on the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show, send me an email to hope at hopegibbs.com. Check back every Monday at noon for a new episode of the Incandescent Entrepreneur Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, www.incandescentradio.com. We look forward to talking to you next week. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.